This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Welcome into the Fantasy Football Mailbag, a Rotoviz podcast. This is the August 15th episode, and we, as always, are dedicated to answering all your fantasy football questions. I'm your host, Mike Randall. You can follow me on Twitter at RandallRant. Today, we are talking to Dave Cabin, senior fantasy analyst here at Rotoviz and the host of the RV flagship pod on Rotoviz Radio. He's the straw that stirs the drink here, folks, at Rotoviz. He's doing all the work behind the scenes. He's been integral to the changes here on the Rotoviz website, which is why we're killing it right now. Podcast tools, the whole bit. Thrilled to get him on the bag to preview the upcoming fantasy season. Please follow him on Twitter at Dave Cabin, FF. Dave, it's an honor to have you on the bag this week. How you doing? I'm I'm doing great, uh, Mike. I'm really glad to be back on the bag. Um, as I said to you before the show, this is something that I've had as like a routine thing in uh, my weekly schedule for years now. Um, so it was awesome when I first got to come on and talk to Jeremy. And I think that you've just been killing it since you've taken over. It's such like a natural progression from uh, host to host. So I'm, I'm just glad now to come on and get to talk with you. Oh, it's an honor to have you on, Dave, and to pick your brain. And I remember listening <laughs> to your episode last year with Jeremy. A lot of great stuff. You can just cover so many things, all the topics, your predictions, everything. So, But I do have to start. I had Curtis Patrick on the mailbag last week. He correctly identified you as the man behind the scenes. I'm going to call you the straw that stirs the drink is what I'm <laughs> going to say here, Dave. Just a lot of updates on the site, consumable articles. Talk about the new upgrades that are, and what we have in store here for the season. I know there's some really cool things coming out here Rotoviz. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, for starters, as Curtis talked about last week, you know, we made a lot of, of upgrades on the site, trying to get a cleaner looking interface, something that's more usable, makes it easier to find your information. And that's something that we're going to be continually working on. You know, once some of the craziness of some of the projects I'm dealing with now kind of die down, we'll get back into trying to build out even more features of the actual site. But what's really exciting that we have going on now is for the last couple couple of years, I've put out um, some tools in Excel that became pretty popular. And we're in the process now of not only improving those, but also bringing them into a web-based format. So just like the other tools that you see on the site, and that's going to allow us to do some things that I wouldn't have been able to do in Excel, but even more than that, just make it easier for people to access so they can just go right to the site and pull them up. And uh, we're going to have the weekly stat explorer that we had last year returning that's going to allow for just such an efficient way of doing DFS research. We're going to have historical distribution scores coming up that I worked on very recently, uh, or those are going to be coming up recently. I did these last year and basically... If anybody is familiar with the site, what we have done in the past is we've had sim scores where you look at a player's output in a given season and then you do some statistical testing to find different elements of a player's stat line that not only are predictive year over year so that they're sticky from year to year, but also can be predictive of a player's scoring and fantasy output in the coming year so what we do is we generate all of these comps for every player given that and now what we're doing is putting this into a format where in addition to just being able to see like the low high and median projection i have a formula that's going to try to capture upside and downside and give you one number that you can point to but even above that you'll be able to go into this tool and look and see a distribution of where those points actually fall and it's a very useful visual that allows you to actually compare 
what a player's realistic range of outcomes looks like. So we have really exciting things coming out on the tools front still, even with the season approaching. We're going to be working on improving the tools that we have and maybe getting out some new ones once the season starts. And then the other cool thing is we've made it a priority, and I'm going to be spearheading this, of doing tutorial videos. Because I really believe that we have some of these incredibly powerful tools that on the surface, you might not even be able to get all of the usefulness out of them. Like, I really believe that the Rotoviz Fantasy Screener is the single most powerful and best fantasy tool out there. Absolutely. 100%, 100% Dave. Can't, can't agree with you more. Absolutely. I mean, the number of things that you can do in there are insane. And there's been so many times that I've had the thought of like, all right, let me build a tool that would do this. And I'm like, wait a second, the screener already does that. But it is kind of intimidating. Um, I can see, too, if you just are getting into Rotoviz in the site, you might get a little bit lost. So we're going to try to start getting out for every tool, just uh, tutorial videos that will break down what they do, how I use them, and the really great insights that you can get from them. So, you know, we just have so much going on and, um, you know, we're just trying to continue to improve and um, really position ourselves to provide as much value as we possibly can to uh, our subs. The beauty of the Rotoviz site is so many of these sites you subscribe to, people subscribe to, they're just going to go there, they're going to get rankings, they're going to be talked to. This is the interactiveness back and forth, the game splits app, the team splits app. The Rotoviz screener is incredible. Curtis came on last week. He talked about how he constructed the 3 and 10 rule, talking about DJ Moore versus comparable wide receivers. It's incredible. And that's it. It's the interactiveness. And you can draw your own conclusions as you do your research. Yeah, absolutely. And this is one of the biggest things that I, I've harped on in the past and that I think that matters is in addition to giving you the information, which is what some people want, I think that we also have historically and we're still trying to not only inform people how to go out and get the information and draw the conclusions for themselves, but we really facilitate it in a way that you're not going to find elsewhere. At least that's my belief. But yeah, I mean, you're spot on there. It's the interactivity and just giving you I think everything you need to really go ahead and put your best foot forward in every league that you play in. Two of the tweets that I put out, I went right to the Game Splits app. I did the old Ben Roethlisberger without Antonio Brown. Do it. Take a screenshot. Put it on Twitter. <laughs> Second one, of course, Dave, which was all over the place. Tyler Boyd did worse when AJ Green was yep. not in the lineup. But of course, that includes a little bit of Jeff Driscoll. But that's information that you can pull lickety split off the site really is great. Yeah, you know, it's funny, too, because um, with the role that I'm in now, you know, I, I'm looking at what is driving the subscriptions and what our users are really interested in. And uh, the Game Splits app is just incredibly popular. And it, and it should be right. Because I mean, how often is it that we have a week to week situation and you say to yourself, I got to see what the impact of this is. And if you pull up the screener, you know, within minutes, you can see how this change might impact the entire team. And uh, that Boyd and AJ Green split split is really interesting. Friedman and I have talked about it on the flagship a couple of times. And, um, you know, we we are very excited, I would say, at Rotoviz about Tyler Boyd this season. And we do think that there's some uh, hope for that Cincinnati offense overall. Uh, So that's going to be one of like the major storylines that I'm going to be paying attention to in the first three or four weeks of the season. Well, what I want to know is how the mad scientist here at Rotoviz did in the pros versus Joes draft. I know you were in that recently, one of the most popular and visible fantasy drafts out there. Explain what that draft is all about and how your team looks, how you think it's going to do this year when you do the draft in pros versus Joes. Yeah, this is really cool. So, you know, it's awesome to be able to play in it this year. But uh, so the FFPC and a site called Fantasy Mojo have been doing this for a while now. But what they do is they set up a bunch of different leagues and the drafts are 32 round best ball leagues with six players from the FFPC and then six industry analysts. And, you know, in a draft like that, there's going to be various approaches, but everybody is super into it. Everybody takes it very seriously. And, you know, everybody is as informed as you could possibly imagine. So it's a 32 round best ball league. So what I did for this was I went to the FFPC roster construction explorer that Mike Beers put together. And it just made this so easy because what I did was I played around with this tool for a while and it basically helped me find from a probabilistic standpoint the optimal construction because I can look into this tool and I determined at what point in this draft would I not want to have my 
second tight end given historical probabilities? At what point should I get that second tight end? Through the first seven rounds, how many running backs do I want? When does it make sense to have my fourth running back? And how many players should I have at each position? So basically, I found the highest win percentage possible in this tool from the last, uh, I forget exactly how many years we have, but say two or three, right? And then I built my team around that. So I felt really good about the way that this team was distributed. However, it's not looking good for this team because I drafted <laughs> AB. I drafted Antonio Brown in round two. Oh, he's going to play, Dave. He's not leaving 30 million I hope on so. the floor. Yeah. I don't know, but that foot, you know, with the foot. Then I took AJ Green in round three. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, I'm not feeling too great to start off. Dave Gerzak actually when they were broadcasting it on uh, the FFPC shows, was really questioning that A.J. Green pick. So I'm not going to have a chance at redemption, I don't think. Uh, but, you know, John Lipinski, who focuses heavily on best ball, has been really successful in FFPC leagues before, said, you know, it was like an out-of-body experience that he felt like he was channeling himself into me as I was drafting. So if I get his seal of approval, uh, you know, I feel pretty good. Interesting things about my team was I took Saquon Barkley at the second overall pick, and I did not draft another back until round nine, who was Miles Sanders, because we've seen that that is a good approach in these best ball leagues, especially 32-rounders. Yep. So, you know, we'll see how it turns out, but it was a lot of fun. Yeah, the modified RB really is the way that I've attacked a lot of my best ball drafts. You put a lot of stock there in that early running back. He's one of the few bell cow three down running backs. And then you're, you have great draft capital there. So then you can turn to the wide receivers, the other positions. And then if one of those late RBs hit for you, I, I think you're good to go. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree. That's my next question. So a, a lot of it here at Rotoviz, not only is the advice on the players, but it's the game theory. It's understanding how to play fantasy football, which I don't see a ton of out there on social media, which is another reason I just think Rotoviz continues to be at, at the forefront. What are your thoughts here on roster construction? So obviously, if you have an early pick, the move is running back. That seems to be the trend. What's your line of demarcation? I was in the 12 spot in the flex draft down at Sirius XM there down on the weekend at, the, at this flex draft leagues. And that to me was an automatic wide receiver spot. But where do you see those top running backs sort of cut off? And do you entertain the DeAndre Hopkins, let's say, <laughs> in a traditional PPR? Right. Well, I think that the first thing I do want to mention is just how important of a statement you made there in saying that, you know, understanding how to actually play fantasy football versus just going after players. Because I think that that is something that even people have been playing the game for years still have trouble getting their head around, right? You know, it's a game and it's not about just about scouting players, right? It's about finding advantages and edges in the way that you can play that game. So I've made this analogy before and I practically did like a whole podcast on it before, but if anybody out there has played a lot of Scrabble and spent time thinking about the theory of Scrabble, you realize that it's not a game of words and it's not being able to just know a lot of words or anagram words quickly, which is taking the letters that you have and making words out of them. It's really about understanding the strategy of the game that you're playing, how you properly play defense so that you pre prevent your opponent from picking up those big words or words that get the triple word score that they're kind of stacking things up so that they're getting a triple word and a double letter in one play and how you lead your opponent into placing tiles in areas that are conducive for you. So that's a little bit different than fantasy football. But the point is, you recognize the game that you're playing. On, on the surface, Scrabble looks like a game of words, but it's not. It's a game of strategy. And I think that fantasy on its surface, like a game that is about scouting and knowing players. But I don't think that's really the case. It's about how you construct your team using the inherent characteristics, historical trends that we've seen in various positions and grouping those into a way that makes sense in the confines of the league that you're in. So for me, most of the leagues that I play in are PPR leagues, two running backs, three wide receivers, one flex. For me, that flex is always going to be wide receiver. Wide receiver is my most important position. Having said that, though, this year, I do think, and we'll have to see what falls out with the Zeke situation as the summer develops, but there's probably four running backs that I would build into my team early and go with a zero uh, a modified zero running back approach. And those players are McCaffrey, Kamara, 
Barkley and probably Elliott. I actually have David Johnson behind those top end wide receivers. Um, so I don't think that it's an automatic running back pick for me um, after I get through those first four picks. And I can see sometimes wavering through this if I played in a lot of leagues. But I think if I had one team, you know, I would be okay going with those guys early. Uh, But the other thing, though, that might impact things for me, too, somewhat, depending on how players fall in front of me, is I actually have Juju Smith-Schuster as my wide receiver one. Uh, I did not pay you to say this. Preach, (laughs) Dave. Preach, please. So the the interesting implication of this, and um, I can talk you know, if you want me to about why I have Juju so high, but the implication is you can be in leagues where you could possibly get him if you're around the turn, even in the second. But if I like Juju that much and I go with him in the first, we might be able to see another one of those top end wide receivers fall into the second, depending on where my pick is. So imagine being able to get this player in Juju and then even getting maybe, um, you know, another tier one wide receiver. So if that seems like it could be possible, just given what I feel and what I'm seeing in that league, then I would go away from that automatic running back pick, potentially even in the, you know, first five or so picks. But I do I do think it would be hard for me to pass on uh, McCaffrey with the first pick. I agree. Everything you said, I totally agree with. And we did not talk about this ahead of time. <laughs> if I'm late in the first round and I can pick up and I'll go Juju in the first round because I want to make yep. sure I get him. The volume, the high floor, Brown is gone. I think there'll be some positive touchdown regression with him. I like pairing him with Julio. I t- I'll take Juju ahead of Odell, which has been a huge argument point on social media. But I agree. You're going to lock in those wide receivers. They're safe. And then we'll attack it later. I agree with those top running backs. I probably probably put David Johnson in there. Um, but I, I agree. I think once you get to that second half, you can solidify that wide receiver core and then let's dive into those sort of mid round, late round running backs and see what we can get. Yeah. You know, and there's also the option of going with Travis Kelsey, which normally I'm not a tight end early type of player, but I do think that, and this is even with, even with Tyreek Hill back into the mix, I do think that we see Kelsey potentially scoring enough points this year that he would be in that top end wide receiver type of conversation. Um, so if I'm not feeling good about running backs, that's another solid pivot, um, which it still feels a little bit uncomfortable to me. But after working my way through projecting all 32 teams and looking at, you know, everything that I do in the offseason, this is the one year I feel OK about taking that uh, tight end early and only with Kelsey. Folks, we're already off the show sheet here, but this is the sort of insight you can get from Dave and everybody at Rotoviz. Just a quick reminder, you can get a, a listeners-only 10% discount to the Rotoviz NFL Pass through the NFL podcast homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. That subscription gives you guys unlimited access to all the premium NFL content, and best of all, it does support the pod. Another way to support the pod is through patreon.com. I love it. I'm on there all the time. It's back for its second season, better than ever. The patronship started just $6 per month. That's $1.50 per week, folks. We now have exclusive access to the radio Slack channel for patrons only. You can jump in, talk to the writers, tell me my picks are crazy. Podcast hosts, everybody's on there. It's a great way to interact with the listeners. Patrons get first crack of the road of his listener leagues, which are up and running at the higher end tier of $9 per month. It's still a great deal. You get some road of his merch at the end of the season. So really consider becoming a road of his patron today and join that exclusive community here at patreon.com forward slash road of his radio. It's a nice way to help us continue the industry-leading content and all the shows that we do for free each week on the network. Fantasy football prayers have been answered, Dave, because the big news this week, Duke Johnson traded to the Houston Texans. It's like people were saying hallelujahs all over Twitter. Huge move for Houston after cutting Deontay Foreman, but there are trickle-down effects all over the place here. So talk about how this is going to affect Lamar Miller, Duke himself, and then Nick Chubb with the Browns. Well, first of all, I thought it was a really cool move. And it's just exciting because Duke Johnson, I think, has a really tremendous skill set. He's an exciting player. So getting him into an offense that I think is going to be successful in 2019 and that will allow him to show off some of the things he can do, I think is awesome. However, I don't think that this move really has much of an impact on Lamar Miller. And that is because when you are looking at an offense – And a player like Lamar Miller, we've seen a very established role for him year over year. We've seen him be that clear-cut running back one in that team's offense. And if you're making assumptions of the volume that he's going to get, 
regardless of who the player is behind him, you're starting with him and you're probably not going to change his rushing volume for the difference between Foreman or Johnson because when I started my projection process with what we knew about Deonta Foreman, I only had Foreman at about 25% of rushing attempts, Miller around 51 I don't really see that changing. I see Duke Johnson coming in, maybe getting 25 to 28% of rushes, but I don't think that with the type of player Lamar Miller is, they're going to want to push him much higher than that. The only thing I did was I took his uh, target share down about 3% because it would have been the running backs behind Miller whose volume would be impacted by the other players on the team. So I ended up actually as a result of bringing in Duke Johnson, bringing down uh, Kiki a little bit and some of their tertiary tight ends and wide receivers. So I don't think it really has that much of an effect on Lamar Miller. Listen, Lamar Miller is going to be your running back two with limited upside. At the end of the season, he's probably going to have a points per game that puts him somewhere between 18 to 24. He's a fine option, but um, I would take him in deep leagues where I can't do a whole lot on the waiver wire, but I think in leagues with 16 to 18 players, you don't really want to draft him. He's not going to be a league winner, and that's one of the things I'm trying to avoid with those picks in the rounds unless his ADP changes a lot, given this news, uh, where you would go after him. Because again, at the end of the season, you know, he's not going to be one of those players that wins you your league. And I've had what I've talked about before is the, the Frank Gore rule. The player that you feel good that you know what you're getting, but knowing what you're going to get never really propels you ahead in your league. So I think that, you know, we might be calling this the Lamar Miller rule in a couple of years. But anyways, to Duke... I thought this was a very positive move. Uh, There were serious questions about his role in Cleveland. I did expect him to be used, and I think that my projections for him might have been some of the highest in the industry in Cleveland. But it's good to see him separated from such a talented group of players. Moving into Houston, where I think they can carve out a nice role for him, and they will. There's not a tight end uh, like Njoku, and there's not a wide receiver like Landry that he'd be competing with. So I do think that we could see a situation where Johnson starts to get used kind of like Kiki did last year. Will Fuller has health concerns. Johnson's definitely a player that you could line up from time to time outside, use him as a receiver. Um, And I did see Ben Gretsch actually put up some really cool um, charts of the next-gen stats showing that um, the routes that Johnson has run historically, uh, or not historically, I think there was two games last season, which uh, like those are the exact types of routes that uh, Kiki was running in Houston's offense. So to kind of close things off, my initial projections for Johnson actually got him into the 180s. I think that that was just too much excitement for me at the beginning, probably back him down to about, you know, maybe I think it will fall out once I actually do the math and not just focus on the number, but the actual output that I could expect probably to like the one fifties. But um, you know, I think he's very draftable now. Last ADP I saw for him was around one sixty with a positional ADP of fifty seven, which is just way, way too low. Yeah, you know what's interesting is I like how you projected Duke aggressively even before the trade because people are forgetting Kareem Hunt suspended for eight games. There's a buy in there, right. which means he's not returning to week ten. So we were going to get a full dose of finally Duke in an explosive offense. So I like that you projected it that way. And you and Matthew Freeman on your podcast did a very important rundown on how you do your projections. I think it was the one second week in July even. Yep. It was excellent. And I think if you folks, if you're out there wondering how these projections are created, go back to the Road of His Radio flagship pod. Dave and, and Freeman talk about this, how you start with the how you think the team's going to do, what do you think the run pass uh, you know, stats are going to be, how the breakdown's going to go, and then how you trickle it down. And that's very important because I think a player like Duke Johnson could really surprise people and say, hey, wait a minute. You know, I think he could have a pretty good year it's not just dukes getting buried on the depth chart anymore because kareem hunt's not there till week 10 yeah exactly and you know we actually did a pod um last summer too which we went like even more in depth on that but the thing that i always harp upon is when you start going through it's not so much about that end result of the number that you get but understanding how things all fall yes. into place yep. so 
in a lot of these situations, you know, it's very easy to have that knee jerk reaction. But like I said, you know, in the beginning of that example, oftentimes there's a role for that RB1 and it doesn't necessarily matter who the RB2 or RB3 are behind them. And you understand that a lot better when you do these projections. So like, you know, Nick Chubb, I think was actually part of your question there. Well, for me, does the piece that's Duke Johnson leaving have any impact on Nick Chubb? No, not really. I think that Chubb could be a better receiver than he's been given credit for. And I think he's a better receiver than will be indicated by the way that they use him. But when you're doing projections, it's not a thing that makes sense that if Duke Johnson leaves, you move that target share over to a player like Nick Chubb. You know, the team's going to try to run Chubb as much as they can in a way that makes sense. But I don't think they receive much benefit when you look at the rest of the pieces there to start giving him passes. So to me, you know, the net impact of Johnson leaving is really like, you know, insignificant, Um, which is another thing I think as you make your way through. And we really tried to help people arrive there when Mike Beers and I were talking about how we were going to take the projection machines that we've used in the past and that we had last year and apply it to kind of our new version in the app. And I think that, um, you know, if you go through and you start working on a Cleveland projection, you'll see how the subtraction of a player like Duke Johnson wouldn't really impact a Nick Chubb. If anything, it'll it'll make a huge impact maybe for the new Kareem Hunt, at least till he comes back, yep. which is Dontrell Hilliard. But I agree. When you go through the projections and you go through it, you realize that maybe one player moving does not make as big a difference as you as you probably think. It's a great point. Hi, Rotoviz fans. Allow me a brief second to tell you about our good friends at the FFPC, the home of season-long high-stakes fantasy football. It's been 10 years since the FFPC filled their first Dynasty League, and now they've grown to be the world's largest Dynasty League commissioner with leagues as high as $5,000 to enter. FFPC leagues are active and competitive, and not a single league has ever folded. Brand new startup Dynasty Leagues are forming right now starting at $77 and up in standard, Superflex, and best ball formats. And for those of you ready for your greatest challenge, take a look at this year's FFPC main event. What is the main event exactly? It's the world's biggest event in season-long fantasy football, and this year it's coming at you with a half a million dollar grand prize and over $3.1 million in total prizes. Come to Las Vegas for a three-day weekend of live draft and festivities at the Planet Hollywood Resort and Casino, or draft online from the comfort of your home. Main event drafts begin August 23rd and run through the start of the season. Go to MyFFPC.com and register now. That's MYFFPC.com, the home of season-long high-stakes fantasy football. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. You also had John Lipinski talked about him at FF underscore ski ball in your pod about a week ago, and you talked about the Lions backfield. This is another huge point, I think. Knee jerk social media reaction, exactly what you're talking about. Theo Riddick gets cut. Here comes Carrion Johnson. Carrion Johnson goes right up the draft boards. Oh, that spot vacated. Now he's going to get all the, the work, the <laughs> passing down work, the two minute drill. You said, aligned with what you just said, not so fast. What are your seasonal thoughts now on the Lions backfield coming off what you just talked about? Sure. Well, I, I I think the the first thing that we need to talk about is last season, Theo Riddick only had 40 rushing attempts. So um, even if you moved all of those rushing attempts to Johnson, it's not like, you know, that's something that moves him into this new stratosphere because, you know, realistically, we know they're not going to move all 40 of those attempts because they're attempts that would go to a player outside of a player like Johnson. Now, I think that if you had a situation where Johnson was a Todd Gurley or a Saquon Barkley, perhaps the team wants to load as much as they possibly can onto them. But for me, I gave maybe, I think it was like two and a half or maybe 3% of the targets that Riddick would have had back to Johnson. I left his rushing attempts around like 52% um, because again, there's not going to be much of an uptick there. And 
I don't think that Carryon Johnson or with the way this offense is going to function is the type of player that you're going to move, you know, five, six, seven, eight percent of targets to. It just doesn't feel possible to me. So at the end of the day, the uptick that you get of Riddick leaving is not that great. And it yeah. kind of goes back to that concept of the role that Johnson is going to have is not that impacted by Riddick leaving. So if you look at the statistical output you could expect, it's not really going to move that much. Yeah, that's a great point. And it's, you know, that's the reaction. But the reality is, is that's what's going to happen in Detroit. I am down, Dave, on Detroit this year. I think Matt Patricia's squarely looking at getting fired at the end of the year. I know the first preseason game, it's preseason, but it, they certainly didn't look good. I kind of have hope that they're going to be trailing. <laughs> so maybe Kenny Galladay is going to be a little more secure in the offense. But I'm not right. sure if Karrion Johnson is the bell cow. I, I agree with you on that. Yeah, I mean, I think that he He's good. And last season, I think he kind of proved to me that he was better than I was giving him credit for. And I think he is going to be a perfectly fine running back this season. But if you think that this moves him up into the conversation of maybe being like on the fringe of an RB1, that just doesn't make much sense when you actually dig into the details. CJ Anderson, I gave around 34% of the rushing attempts, a very low target share. At the end of the day, it doesn't really make him a viable option just to kind of put the bow on the uh, backfield there. I've been asking this to everybody. Pat Fitzmaurice caused a furor on Twitter <laughs> talking about best American band of all time. Curtis gave us Johnny Cash, which I thought was a great answer. Very unique. What is your favorite American band of all time? Good. I'm glad that you switched and you asked my favorite because I don't think that I'd want to attempt without going back and really pondering this for a while um, to give what I you know, would think that the best band, best American band of all time would be. But my favorite's uh, Nirvana. Oh, of course. That was me in college. Yeah, them. <laughs> Pearl Jam, of course. That's a, a very, very solid one. We had some good ones. Some old school people went Eagles, things like that. Oh. Oh, gosh. But yeah. yeah so, but. You, you know, it's funny. So when I saw the question, I was like, you know, I, want, I bet the Eagles are pretty high. So I went and mm-hmm. looked it up. Of course, like in a lot of lists, they're number one. I personally just do not like the Eagles. And I always think about um, in the big Lebowski when he gets in the cab and the Eagles. are Yes. <laughs> so like I thought about uh, like, uh, you know, having that clip ready and just playing that when you asked the question. But uh, time is is not something I have a lot of right now. So we we didn't add in that step. You are the master of the drops, the Seinfeld <laughs> drops. We could get to it later on. Yeah. I, we could talk about the two hours between you and I love Seinfeld. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. We see every year, Dave, late round RBs make a huge impact. I went back to 2010, and there's always almost a late round RB that makes it in the top five. Peyton Hillis, 2010. Darren Sproles, 2011. No Sean Moreno, right? Came out of nowhere, 2013. Devontae Freeman was the RB40 the year. He was number one overall RB. Danny Woodhead and, of course, Alvin Kamara in 2017. So I'm going to name some late-round RBs right now, and I want to hear your thoughts on whether you think they have a chance to actually get in the top 10 or even top 5 this season. I'm going to start in Pittsburgh with Jalen Samuels. Well, I would say this. If James Conner were to not take the field this season, then I think it's possible. Uh, Although... I don't think that Samuels is actually as good of a running back as James Conner is. I think that Samuels is extremely versatile, and I think that he could flourish in that offense if given a chance, but I really don't think it would be to the degree that Conner has been. Uh, So I don't see him getting to that top five, especially when you look at the mix of backs that we already have that are pretty much penciled into that. Um, So maybe he could get top 10, but... I just want to take this as an opportunity to to say that I really like James Conner. When you look at this team, things look very positive for him, even if they do take some, some steps back. So, you know, he's the Pittsburgh back that I'm really focusing on. Yeah, so you're not buying Eddie Faulkner coming over there, being the position coach there with the Steelers. You think Samuels is still the, the second banana there in Pittsburgh? Yeah, I do. I think this is one of those cases where... At the end of the day, they look at what they had last year with Connor, and it just doesn't make much of a sense to make a move. I, I could be wrong, but I try not to read too much into coaching moves like that unless it's, um, you know, a head coach move and there's a real clear reason or something that maybe happened with the front office, something along those lines that would shift the tides with the players. Half point PPR Samuels right now, RB50. Let's talk about another one that I talked about with Curtis also, Justice Hill with the Ravens, currently RB56. I guess this directly impacts your thoughts on Mark Ingram, Dave. Listen, I uh, and we're probably going to talk about this a little bit later. I do not feel good about this Baltimore offense this year. Um, and a lot of that comes from Lamar Jackson. I just don't think that he's going to progress enough that it creates a situation in which Hill's opportunity. 
Oh, that hurts, Dave. You just put a knife in my back. Yeah, oh. I know. But like, listen, we know that regarding quarterbacks can be problematic for players of Hill's profile. If the team isn't able to score a lot of touchdowns or, or efficiently move the ball down the field via passing, which I think is important, they're going to be in trouble. And I think that Ingram is probably a better than average player uh, who's probably going to get the goal line work. So I don't see the team doing enough outside of positioning him to, well, I guess I just don't see the team being able to allow for enough production to Hill get to that top 10 type of range. Then you also have to assume that either Ingram just doesn't show up or gets hurt. There's just a lot of assumptions in there. And like I said, I'm really just not sold that this offense can support a top 10 back. Even even with all the running, you know, people will cite the fact that this team is going to run a lot as a reason for the running backs being prosperous but one of the reasons that the team is going to run a lot is there those people are expecting Lamar Jackson to run 100 times well if he's running 100 times even if the team still runs 500 you take it down to where you're at like 400 which would be analogous to the opportunity that could go to the top two backs in a lot of offenses and of course the satellite backs not typically getting a lot of receptions when you have a running right. quarterback it's a very good point one of my personal favorites is Darius Geis over in Washington because at this point last year everybody was talking about Geis could be a three down back and he slipped because of the character concerns but he profiles as very close to Saquon Barkley now of course doesn't play the whole year recovers from the injury we have Adrian Peterson who we heard about financial trouble we have Chris Thompson there do you think Geis at RB30 though could really step forward and maybe be a a late season league winner for for people listen (laughs) I love Darius Geis I absolutely love Darius Geis. I, I wasn't super high on him like when I f- first started my research on him, but then um, I really got enamored with him. But even if you look at him just as a player this year, there are massive red flags this year. Then you look at that team all together, and it does not figure or look like to me a team that has an offense to support a top 10 running back. Um, so I'm just going to leave this one short and sweet here that – Geis is just a player that I think this year you have to pass on. Even if you're looking for upside, I don't think it makes sense. There's just so many red flags in players that it's much easier to envision scenarios where things hit correctly for them that uh, they're probably more attractive targets. Well, let's stay with the running backs and go to a question here from a Broncos fan. Philip Lindsay was great last season, but Royce Freeman's getting a lot of talk in camp. They added Theo Riddick. What do you think the touches in the Broncos' backfield? How do you think they're going to get distributed? There's a huge difference in the ADP. Lindsey's going currently at RB21 and Freeman's RB40. Am I crazy to think that Freeman can outproduce uh, Lindsey this year? No, I don't think that you are. Um, I think that um, Freeman is a very exceptional back, and it's possible for sure um, that he could outproduce Lindsay. I think one of the reasons for this is that, it, you know, you can definitely picture Freeman getting to around 50% of the rushes, uh, positions himself for some touchdowns. Then you're probably all set. You know, with the way things stand now, I still have Lindsay at around like 40% of rushes. I did bring down his target totals a little bit with the addition of Theo Riddick, brought him down to, I think, around 11%. So hold on, let me actually pop over right here. We're going to look at what I ended up with. I, I do expect that Lindsay overall, especially in PPR leagues, is the player that finishes the season with more points, and it could be substantial. But, um, you know, if the question could, is, could Freeman outproduce him? I, I think that that's, that's certainly possible because he did profile very strongly coming out of school. And I do have concerns about... A, Lindsay being able to repeat what he did last year, and then B, uh, staying healthy. And I agree with what you said. It's not about Riddick coming over. I think that's where the person who asked the question needs to understand. If he, if you, yeah. if that person thinks that Freeman is the value, go for it. But don't worry. You have to come up with how you think the touches are going to be distributed. Don't rely so much on a player's presence, but rather how you think the offense is going to be. With how good Lindsay was last year, it just wouldn't really make sense to phase out too much of his role for a player like Riddick unless they see something in Theo Riddick that we haven't seen for a number of years now. You know, what's interesting, Dave, is the NFL has proposed this players association. They've talked about the idea of an 18 game season with a 16 game per player limit. I think this is the old, like in the 80s, you used to have the spiders you throw against the wall and they crawl down. I think they're kind of floating this out there to get the reaction here. I'm curious, <laughs> what are your thoughts on this from a realistic perspective and a fantasy perspective? If, you, if we're playing fantasy football and it's an 18-game season, but only players can play 16 games, kind of going to throw us off a little bit here, no? 
Oh, gosh. <laughs> uh, well, I'll talk about that in a second. I think from a realistic perspective that, uh, at least for me, part of what is a major driver of the appeal of the NFL is how scarce of a resource it is in that you get such a limited amount of games each year. Of course, you know, that's my perspective. I, I'm sure people would still watch it if we went to 18, but you're also then taking out some of the absolute best players from those games. Uh, so you're like kind of, you know, decreasing the quality of a lot of games that you have. Um, this probably still could be profitable for the league, though. But I, I would hope that they don't do it. And then from a fantasy perspective, I can't even begin to tell you how annoying this becomes from a data collecting and presentation perspective. The amount of hoops then that we have to start jumping through when we're pulling data into data sets and then presenting it, making qualifications for when players weren't there, manually trying to direct for it is just an absolute nightmare. Um, maybe it's an interesting wrinkle in fantasy, but uh, it just seems so unnecessary to me. Yeah, I, I agree. And it would it would. Except, though, sorry to cut you off there. Was it Jake Seeley that you had on who mentioned that the, the extra two weeks would push it out to the Super Bowl being after uh, Labor Day, which I've always said should be a national yeah, holiday? Jake, what Jake talked about, I thought it was a great idea, saying that if you do that, you push it out there, you're going to actually line it up and get that Monday off, which would be fantastic. No one would be against that. I'll tell you right now, that would be, they could work it out. <laughs> that could swing people for sure. It would be great. Yep. Yeah, it'd be awesome. What is the best sporting event you have ever attended in person? I have not been to any um, super important games or like, a, you know, any playoff games or any World Series games or anything like that. Uh, but in 2001, and I've talked about this on some shows, for whatever reason, Florida State football has always been my favorite team within my favorite sport. Um, you know, my grandparents always used to go to Florida since I was before I could remember, they always brought me back Florida state stuff, I guess, just cause they assumed I would like it. And it kind of stuck. So anyways, it stuck. Yeah. yeah, it stuck. So in 2001, Chris Ricks, who, by the way, does not get the credit he should deserve. That guy yes. was a knoll through and through. And he actually Chris was really Ricks, good. Yes. He had the worst offensive coordinate. Like, so it was one of the Bowden sons who basically scored, squandered so much talent, but that's besides the point. Anyway, it was October 27th game. Um, early in the game, Ricks gets destroyed on a helmet-to-helmet hit, gets knocked out of the game. I think Maryland's actually beating Florida State at the half. Ricks comes back and throws for 350 yards and five touchdowns. And it was cool because I got to have like once, you know, the game starts off, I'm absolutely despondent. Then... In the middle of the game, we kind of start to get a little bit of a nail biter when Ricks gets back in and we start coming back. And then we ended up, and yes, I say we, I'm going to use the we there. I do it too. It's um, it's our sports. We love it. Yeah. So then they end up winning 52 to 31. So it was like. I got to, you know, have all of these different, different experiences in one game. So it was really cool. That's fantastic. It's a great one. It's about our love. I t- say it's the male soap opera all the time. <laughs> we love it. So we're going to say we can say the royal way. It's totally fine. Okay. Uh, there's a ton of debate on where QB should fall in your redraft fantasy drafts. It's certainly been the deepest position. And this year, it's the deepest maybe it's ever been. So let us know where you fall in these key QB pivot points here. What do you think about Kirk Cousins in Minnesota? People have trouble buying into Kirk Cousins, but he did have a 3-1 to touchdown interception ratio last year. They have a run-heavy attack certainly coming. Dalvin Cook, can he stay healthy? Where do you fall on Kirk Cousins? <laughs> I'm on the better side of indifferent, I guess. You know, I think he's just in that range of quarterbacks where they're all more or less the same thing, and it's very hard to differentiate heading into the season um, how these guys will actually finish so he's kind of like grouped in for me with that group of players where if you need a quarterback you've waited he's but you don't want to stream on a weekly basis you want to have somebody you can feel decent about he's there probably will produce 4,000 yards around 26 touchdowns 12 interceptions um you know the interesting thing about cousins is there's been a major drop off in his rushing touchdowns now coming out of college I think he only had one rushing touchdown in his college career, did not profile as a quarterback that would be scoring a lot of touchdowns. But he went 5-4-4 and then down to one last year. Um, And I just think that's interesting because those touchdowns did give a little boost when you're looking at year-end rankings earlier on in his career. It's not something we can expect, and I think that that is one thing that might make people still a little bit more optimistic on Cousins. Um, 
then perhaps they should be. But, you know, he's just one of those middle of the road guys you grab at the end when um, you just want that guy that you feel like can be your weekly starter. Sam Darnold really had a fantastic end of the season last year. Weeks 14 to 17, he was pro football focus, highest rated QB. What do you think about Sam Darnold? He's a decent late round QB here for people who are really going to wait. I think if you're really going to wait, he's fine. I think the thing that I worry about with him is that he throws enough touchdown passes to be a thing. So in that historical distribution score, historical projection tool that I've been working on that I mentioned earlier, one of the problems is only three of his top 20 matches through for 20 or more points in their subsequent season, which probably pushes him into that range, I think, of only being an option in uh, you know super flex or two quarterback leagues. One of the ones I think is most confusing this year is Jimmy Garoppolo. Last year, he was the preseason QB10. People talked about him being with Shanahan. He finished the prior year pretty strong. Then he had the injury. He's now preseason QB20. They have more weapons. They have receivers, running backs, of course. Where do you fall on Jimmy Garoppolo? Is he sort of a 20 and higher QB guy at the end of the year? Or do you think he can maybe even sneak into the back end of a QB1? I think that it's probably more likely he sneaks into the back end of a QB1 than falling out of the uh, the top 20. You know, I think that um, if I had to pick the like, you know, if we were doing and setting up a line for this, I would say the question really is, does he finish better than QB 15 or worse than QB 15? So, so I think, you know, last preseason, he maybe, you know, you'd say that like QB 10 might've been two or three spots uh, higher than it should have been. But now there's been an overcorrection. And if you did like Garoppolo last year, I think that you should probably be a little bit more excited about him this year. But, you know, for me, uh, he kind of falls in that same group as cousins. I hate to be indifferent here, you know, but as we talked about the beginning of the show for me it's always been more about the strategy and i think they fall into the same confines of a strategy than really focusing too much on the particular players here well and the last one here you're not going to be indifferent <laughs> it's going to break my heart i am very high on lamar jackson he improved his completion percentage every year at louisville the rushing upside they have greg roman this year as the offensive coordinator who did a nice job with tyrod taylor and colin kaepernick but tell us where do you fall on lamar jackson this year <laughs> i'm pretty low on lamar jackson And to get back to these historical distribution scores I was looking at, out of every player that I expect to, or at this point we could say is likely to be, you know, potential quarterback option, he has the third worst score. Um, And now some of that is because it's hard to find really good matches for guys that have that volume in the rushing game. But when you do look at matches that you could expect to be at, you know, seven or more rushing attempts in their N plus one season, things just don't pan out. So you have players like Tim Tebow, 9.4 rushes, averages 17 points per game. Even Mike Vick in 2004 when he had eight attempts per game, and I think that you could make a case that at that point in his career he was probably a better passer than Jackson's going to be this year. He was at just 17.1. Colin Kaepernick in 13 only got to 19 points a game when he was doing a lot of rushing and I think might be a better passer. I just think that we very often overstate a quarterback's ability to progress where there's plenty of cases like, um, you know, even with guys that were one, you know, one and two overall picks like Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota, we're still expecting them to progress and take a step forward. But it just very rarely happens. Even if you see a significant improvement, it still does not push him into a very strong stratosphere. And I think that people love to talk about the Konami code. I think in the case of a player like Jackson, Perhaps it gives him some floor, but it, it's very, you know, he's not going to be a player that's throwing four, four or five passing touchdowns week in and week out. So you have to think that it can all come from the rushing, which there's now, you know, a whole nother year to adjust. So like if I try to build a narrative for this, it's hard for me to come up with much that is that positive for Jackson. And if I, you know, look at some of the Statner type of things, it's hard for me to find much hope for him either. I know I'm in the minority there, though. The two things that I have to bank on here, one is the rushing. He doesn't get the rushing. They taper back. That's a disaster. And number two, the turnovers. I agree. He's not a 30-touchdown guy. He's not going to throw 30 touchdowns. So the rushing's got to be there, and the turnovers decef- definitely have to be low. I, I That's the, the uh, debate. That's where you have to decide, folks. 
fantasy football redraft trick or treat. We do this every time. I'm asking you, Dave, are these players tricking their fantasy owners at their current ADP, or are they still a value? Are they a treat? We'll assume half-point PPR. Lightning rod here, especially with the news with Andy Reid saying we're doing a running back by committee. Chiefs Damian Williams, RB12. Ah, that's probably about right. And I could not decide where I landed on this. Like if I had to go one way or the other, uh, I think at this point I have to say he's probably he's probably a trick. But I still think that there's so much, you know, potential for a running back in that offense that I'm still gonna be drafting Williams if I'm in a league where, you know, he's at RB12 and I feel like I'd want to go with a running back, I probably feel better about him than many of the other guys in that range. Like, I think I probably would rather take him than, than a Dalvin Cook, for example. We have finally started seeing positive news on Leonard Fournette. I just can't get that picture, Dave, last year of him with his arms crossed on the bench there. <laughs> and I'm a BC guy, so I know Tom Coughlin does not mess around. But Leonard Fournette now getting involved in the passing game a little bit. Been impressive in camp. Where do you fall on him at RB6? Again, you know, I think that's probably about right, which, you know, feels kind of like a cop out. Um, But I actually think that I would say he's a treat at that ADP forced to pick because his volume could be really, really strong. And I think that's where you're starting to get to a range where you have other backs that it's unclear exactly what their role would will be. Um, You know, so he has more of a defined role to me or you can you can develop a better picture in your head of what his role might look like in his offense than an Aaron Jones, for example. Julian Edelman is ready to step into a large target share, but he's 33 years old and he's now a little bit banged up in camp. Where do you fall? Patriots, Julian Edelman, half point PPR, wide receiver 15. This one's much easier. This one's a complete trick. Um, I think that people feel very good about Edelman, largely based on how he closed out last season. So it's easy to picture that carrying through to next season, which we know is something that you can actually say with any certainty either way is going to happen for a player. And I think that people believe with Gronk leaving the other mix of receivers there that he's going to have a very high target share. But again, we go back to you start building out projections for the Patriots. You put Julian Edelman at 25% of that offense, which mind you for a Patriots wide receiver is a very very high percentage and you assume a pretty efficient season which is dangerous for a guy of his age of his size that's taking the beating he has and is may have been using peds for a reason you have a very strong season but not a season that gets him near that wide receiver 15 kind of range and so to kind of close out on that i think that it's much easier to envision a number of scenarios or mathematically build them where he fails to get to that what I would consider his best case scenario is probably wide receiver 12. So if you're thinking wide receiver 15, pretty much everything has to hit for him. Whereas if anything, any little thing goes wrong, he's just not going to get there. Last one here, a guy who repels yards after catch, the Bucks, Mike <laughs> Evans at wide receiver eight. <laughs> well, you know, Free, uh, Friedman loves Mike Evans and he always pulls out all of these stats of how everything Evans has done in this point in his career is like completely historic, which is uh, absolutely true. So I guess I will say this, that it's a treat in that you're still getting a quality of player like Mike Evans at wide receiver eight, which I think is awesome though that's probably right around where he should go. But, um, you know, again, because I think that you're not making a bad pick when you get Evans at as the eighth wide receiver to treat. I took my two kids today to one of those video game places, gaming things. We're looking at some of the retro games. I'm curious, what's the best Christmas or birthday gift you received as a kid? So it's perfect that you brought that up. I don't think that this is the actual answer. Um, but the one that I always remember the most is just how excited I was when I got Nintendo 64 from one Christmas yep. and then just mm-hmm. went absolutely nuts with it. So, like, you know, if I think back about being as excited as a kid for get, getting something, it was definitely uh, N64. Well, speaking of videos, you did the video and the write-up on Tevin Coleman for the Rotovis Player Profiler Draft Kit. This is a very important backfield. Kyle Shanahan, he has familiarity there with Tevin Coleman. 
he's back. He could take that lead role. Jarek McKinnon's still injured. Matt Breida is great, but he's always injured. He's like the zombies in the thriller video coming out through the ground. So talk <laughs> about Tevin Coleman, your thoughts and projections for him this year in that San Francisco backfield. Since I first started thinking about this, the concerns that I would have had for Jarek McKinnon have, have increased. And uh, so for me, you know, I think that the two guys I'm mainly focusing on in this backfield right now are Matt Breida and Tevin Coleman. And Breida at this point that could eat away at what Coleman can do. So I fully expect that Coleman's going to be given the opening crack at being the RB1 there and that he will be. I think he's the most well-rounded back. He's the one with the established track record of pretty significant on-field production in both a rushing and receiving perspective. Um, that has done it in multiple years. And I think that he probably is the best running back overall. Maybe not quite as crazy of an athletic specimen as McKinnon, but he is pretty um, impressive in his own right. And then, you know, there's the narrative of having the relationship with the coach. Um, But even if I separate those things and I just look at those three names on a roster, I would think that it's Coleman. When I start working through my projections, um, he's always been a player that I really like. So I'd like to be able to get him to that 200 type of range. I don't see that actually happening um, this year because it's hard to picture him getting over like 50% of the rushes and 10% of the passes as things are constituted. Now I probably have him floating closer to like a 40% range, but um, you know, he's the guy there. Hopefully he falls in ADP and you can get him in a range where it makes sense. But you know, like even in like around six, seven or eight, I'm still a little leery though. I do see him as the, best option there of course the best option to draft is probably Matt Breida because he could kind of have the projected Coleman output that I have and you can get him much later I agree I root for Coleman I was always a Coleman fan in Atlanta one year I did I had a nice championship in a league because I did the team backfield drafting with him and Freeman so he's a guy that truthers like us who've been around we're rooting for and his value is plummeting now so he's sort of out of buy I agree it's a tricky situation but if you nail it and he really comes through as the goal line guy there and gets the majority of the carries even though he may not get the lion's share of them, I think it's a good value, but it's a risk. I agree. He's an intriguing, intriguing running back. Time for redraft lightning round. I'm going to give you two players. You tell me which one you think outscores the other one at the end of the fantasy season. Break that wide receiver one tie between DeAndre Hopkins and Devontae Adams. All right. Well, I broke it earlier by saying that it's Juju Smith-Schuster. Yes, but yes. Right. If I have to choose between Hopkins and Adams, I would say that it's Hopkins because I think that Deshaun Watson is just going to have such an incredible season that it's going to propel Hopkins into that spot. But it, it is really close between those two guys. I don't think that you can go wrong. Tight ends that people talk about that they take early are Kelsey, Ertz, and Kittle. And then there's all the late round tight ends. But in the middle, there are a couple that can go either way. They could get into that first tier. They could maybe break through and be a top three tight end, or they could slide down a little bit. I'm curious, Evan Ingram or OJ Howard? Yeah, this is another really tough one. You asked me this question at the end of last season, and I'm thinking about this. I'm probably going to say to OJ Howard, but I think, and this isn't just because Lipinski talked him up last week. He did. Yes, he did. Yep. Evan Ingram is the answer. He's the answer, and this is why. He had a absolutely historic rookie season, and the reason that he did was there was just not many other players they could go to there in that offense. You're now looking at a situation where the receivers, there's questions about you know Shepard's availability and his health. Golden Tate is suspended. Obviously, Barkley's an absolute monster, but only so much of the offense can run through him that despite what should be pretty bad quarterback play he's probably just gonna be force fed so much that I feel better about what he can do with that volume than a guy like OJ Howard who's playing in an offense where you have two tremendous receivers he's playing with we don't know too much exactly how that offense is going to function it could be very good but for him he might be you know his season might make or break on touchdowns which, you know, is the case for most tight ends. But if we have an opportunity to get massive volume, what we can project even in what will likely be and I feel very strongly will be a worse offense, I'm still going to go for it because we've seen this scenario before for Angram and it worked out well. And I think he's a really good player. Two high-achieving quarterbacks here, one coming off of injury, the other one we're finally hoping gets unleashed, Cam Newton or Russell Wilson? Uh, That's Cam. Even if you put these players in a situation where they're getting roughly the same opportunity, it's probably going to be Cam. Um, I know that his rushing output could very realistically come down, rushing touchdowns could come down, but we've seen kind of the same thing for Russell Wilson. I don't think that that's 
going to be as big of an element of his game as it has been in the past. He plays in an offense where it's really hard to imagine that they do unleash him. Cam has probably better weapons at this point, probably the better team, I think. Well, I don't know. That could go either way, but I'm just going to go with Cam there. We've seen it more, and if you start thinking about this season, I just have more hopes for uh, Carolina than I do for Seattle. And last one, two running backs here. Chris Carson on those Seahawks on the Seahawks or Mark Ingram over with the Ravens. So for the reasons that I'd be worried about Wilson, um, I feel better about Chris Carson than I do Mark Ingram. I've already made the case on why I worry about Baltimore and putting Ingram in situations. And though I kind of dumped on Justice Hill earlier, it wasn't really Justice Hill as a player. It was the situation that he's in. I do think it's possible, given his uh, background and profile, that he eats into Ingram's work. Ingram will just have the work that produces more fantasy points but with the volume that chris carson could get even with uh rashad penny getting into the mix i i i like him better so let me pivot on this with you i'm a huge fan of latavius murray i i think that latavius murray can do exactly what mark ingram did in that offense i think drew Brees' arm strength is starting to wilt a little bit chris raybon talked about that here on the bag as well what do you think about latavius murray so if you're down there on ingram you're not sure exactly how it's going to go with baltimore for the reasons we talked about i'm just curious what do you think about murray in the saints offense I actually like Murray a lot, and he's one of those players, if you just looked at my projections, I think he ends up around running back 30. You might think that I don't like him that much, but you have to look at the full picture. As you said, Ingram was very strong in that in that offense, even when playing with Kamara. I think that Latavius Murray is a pretty good running back. I expect him to get used and utilized in that offense. Uh, it's one that probably will support both backs as fantasy contributors. And then you have the case of if it turns out that they're able to do things with Murray that we don't expect, they want to use Kamara less, he could really outplay um, his ADP substantially. And I also like him. He might, because though he might be hard to know when you're going to use him, um, if you do get him in your lineup, on any given week, it's very possible he racks up 100 yards and two touchdowns. So I, I do like Murray a lot, and I'm hoping that people kind of forget about him or focus too much on um, the fact that he's playing with Kamara and forget about his standalone value in the drafts that I'm in. Dave, this has been incredible, man. The time has flown by. I'll get you out of here on this. We all know you can't win your fantasy league with those first couple rounds, but you certainly can lose it. you got to avoid the bust. You have to avoid the bombing on those first two rounds, first three rounds. Who is an early round player that you are basically staying away from in your drafts that you think has a really low floor that could be the bust this year, that could be the Rob Gronkowski, David Johnson last year, the guy who you're saying, you know what, I'm going to pass more often than not? So I'll I'll give two answers because I think that my first one is pretty obvious. Some people might disagree, but like Todd Gurley, I, I want no part of this year. I just don't think that if you're looking even with your second, potentially third pick, you want to assume the type of risk that you get with a player like Gurley. Red flags are an easy way to dismiss players. And I think Curtis even kind of got at this. You know, we think that you're getting a discount with certain players, but you know, how often does that discount really hit for you? Um, so Gurley, I'm staying away from, but the player that I think is starting to get drafted too high And I can actually say this. I have never been hoping more for a prospect that I've evaluated since I really got heavily into fantasy. I've never been more behind a player of Nick Chubb. I loved Nick Chubb in college. I loved his profile. I was really pulling for him. I'm glad that he is going to be the back in Cleveland. The problem is, though he's probably going to get 10 rushing touchdowns, Even if he gets to 29 wrecks, which I have him at, that only gets him to an RB8 type of level. And I think that it's very easy to see how maybe he doesn't get to 10 touchdowns. Maybe this offense doesn't function as well as we're hoping. And if those things don't happen, it's going to be hard for him to overcome those limitations of him. And Ryan Collinsworth and I talked about this on um, the flagship pod last week. In today's NFL, RB1s are players that have a 50-50 split in their production between rushing and passing attempts. No, that's not going to be the case for Chubb. He's probably going to be closer to 65% of of his production coming from rushing. And I just think that's really dangerous. And we might be over-projecting what this 
this Cleveland offense is going to do. So as much as I love Chubb, I just think that it's prudent to stay away from him, probably pivot to a wide receiver at the point where you would be taking him. That is a very smart comment. I have not heard that all offseason. Ezekiel Elliott last year, 15 games, nine touchdowns. So if Baker runs in a couple and Chubb doesn't get the receiving volume, you know, last year, 95 targets for Ezekiel Elliott. If he doesn't get that, that's a great point. He may not hit that value that we think we're taking him at. Excellent point, Dave. Folks, Dave Cabin, senior fantasy analyst here at Rotoviz, host of the RB flagship pod. It's in my rotation. It should be in yours every single week. He is the straw that stirs the drink. He is the mad wizard behind the curtain here at Rotoviz. You got to follow him on Twitter at Dave Cabin FF. Dave, it's been awesome, man. You killed it as always. Thanks so much for a few minutes here on the mailbag. Hey, yeah, no, man, I had so much fun. I could have talked to you all night about this. So um, I'll be looking forward to uh, you getting in uh, even better guests as we close out this summer. Looking forward to it. Thanks, man. Thank you for listening to Rotoviz Radio. Please review the podcast on iTunes under the Fantasy Football Mailbag Rotoviz Radio feed. Contact us via email, rotovizradio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear what you think, so follow us on Twitter at rotovizradio and at randallrant. Make sure you tell a friend, and don't forget to sign up for a 10% discount on our podcast homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcasts. It's a no-brainer, folks. Thanks for tuning in. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.